We're continuing today with our series uh, as uh, one new family, looking at the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. It's a, it's a great book, full of amazing truth uh, about how God, through Jesus, rescued us from, from, from sin and given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we're going to explore more of that today. So without further ado, we're going to launch straight into the passage for today. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your apps or whatever you've got, it's, uh, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and it's verses 11 to 22. So I'll give you a moment to um, locate that. It's also on the screen as well. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see where we go. Right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for this morning so far. Thank you that you've been here by your Holy Spirit. Uh, your presence has been so evident. Thank you, Lord, that you, you, you birth us into a family, uh, that we're not left alone, uh, that we have you, we have uh, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, but we have each other as well. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds uh, this morning to, uh, to learn more from your word. In your mighty name, amen. So, to give you a bit of a heads up, uh, today we're going to be looking at our position, uh, our peace, and our being part of the family. So, three Ps. Nice and easy. If you want to go home now, feel free. That wasn't funny, sorry. Um, Okay, so, in the first half of chapter 2, as we heard last week, Paul looks at the position of the Ephesians before they knew Christ. So, he said that they were dead in the trespasses and sins in which... You once walked in Ephesians 2 verse 1. So everyone, this, everyone is dead in their, tresp- in their trespasses and sins. We then heard the amazing truths about God's amazing mercy, his love and his grace that made the Ephesians alive with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. We raised up to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies and that God had works for them to crack on with. So I'm I'm sort of expecting a bit more encouragement from Paul today, second half of Ephesians, chapter 2. I'm expecting some more detail on what these good works might look like, perhaps. But that doesn't really happen. Paul goes back to the Ephesians' pre-Christian position, 
that he looked at in verses 1 to 3. So in verse 11 and 12, he says, Remember, remember that you were at that time, at that time being before they were Christians, before they knew Christ. And in the second half of the chapter, Paul refers to the Ephesians as Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. So Paul is looking at their position at that time in relation to the Jews, God's chosen people. And he's contrasting Jewish people, God's chosen people, with Gentiles, non-Jewish and not chosen. Paul says that they were separated from Christ, who was the longed-for Jewish Messiah. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were excluded from God's people, in other words. And they were strangers to the covenant of promise. Basically, they were clueless to what, as to what God's promises even were. Have you ever been part of a conversation that you have no idea what's going on, but you sort of nod along, uh, like to try and make out, yeah, 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 I know what you're going on. So, so I, I, get, I get that quite a lot when Lucas is talking about computer games to me. I don't understand computers. And I get that a lot of work when my technical specialists are talking about the latest hydrological modelling they're using and doing double mass plots to assess uh, the antecedent conditions of the soil moisture deficit. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you do your thing, it's fine. You sort of nod along and go, yeah, yeah. Well, Gentiles, which include us, by the way, and the Ephesians, were not even part of the conversation. They were left out entirely. They didn't understand and they had no access to the one person that they needed. And the end result of this position they were in, it says at the end of verse 12, they had no hope, and they were without God in the world. So I thought last week when Paul talks about us being dead in our sin, it's a pretty bad position to be in. Being dead is quite final. But actually, this is worse than being dead. Not only were the Gentiles dead in their sin, but they also had no hope. They were excluded from any hope of redemption, from any hope of being saved. Paul summarises this position in verse 13, as, and he calls it as being far off. They are far off. So Paul's saying to the, to, the, to, to the Ephesians, don't just remember the sin God has rescued you from that made you dead. Remember the utter hopelessness that I rescued you from because you had no God. Jews, on the other hand, had God in the world. They were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They had his promises. They often rejected him and rebelled against him, but they had him and therefore they had hope. Gentiles didn't. So, not a great starting position, even worse than last week. How are you feeling? You feeling good? Just as Paul did in the first half of chapter 2, you were dead but God. He now uses the same formula. You had no hope, but Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is a call by Paul to remember our starting position, to not forget how far gone we were and how blessed and grateful that we should now be, that, that we are no longer far off. We've been brought near. Like all of you, I was once an outsider. I was once not a Christian. I was far off. I was separated from Christ, a stranger to what Jesus had done for me, clueless as to what it even meant. And yet I was brought up in a Christian family. I knew all the stories. 
Uh, I knew that Jesus died for me. And when it began to be real for me in my teens, I kept myself at a distance. Someone prayed over for me one Sunday evening and it scared the living daylights out of me. They prayed that I had a void in my life. And I was, that, that, that just freaked me out. And I didn't go back for years to that church. I kept myself at a distance. I kidded myself that I could have this halfway house between being far off, which I didn't think I was, and being brought near, which scared me. And I, was, I, I made myself this in the middle position, on the fence, where I went to church, I looked like a Christian, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I don't think I'm the only one. But now, in Christ Jesus, I, who was once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I know what? Everyone's story is different, which is why sharing our story is so important. Because stories resonate with people. We've got baptisms in three weeks' time. We're going to hear stories of how people have been brought near from a far-off position. That's always good to hear. We were all once far off, whatever our background, whether you've been in the church all your life or not, whether you come from a background of sex, drugs and rock and roll or a nice church upbringing, we were all once far off. But I want us all to say together in our big loud voices, please, that verse on the screen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Okay, second point I'm going to make. I'm skipping a couple of slides, Emma, sorry. Peace, verse 14, says that Jesus himself is our peace. What is this peace? Well, it's, it's oneness, it's unity. Three times in three verses, the word one is used. Made us both one. One new man. In one body. Jesus is the source of peace. And in this section, Paul outlines how Jesus sorted out the division and hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Peace was the objective. Hostility and division was the problem. Centuries of conflict, prejudice and different worldviews meant there was no love lost between Gentiles and Jews. Peace seemed impossible. But this was not about negotiating a peace deal. There was no UN Secretary General sort of going between the rooms uh, of Gentiles and Jews, trying to work out a pact, trying to get some sort of ceasefire. This was no attempt at a political solution. Jesus took the initiative. He did not give concessions to each side. He was not even concerned about being fair to each side. He did not try and cobble together the two sides into an uneasy pact, which would never last. To achieve peace... Jesus created something new. He created one new man, one new humanity, one new people out of the two. This was no abracadabra moment where Jesus created out of nothing. Poof, one new people. To enable this to happen, the dividing wall of hostility had to be broken down first. And for this to happen, the reason for the hostility in the first place had to be dealt with, as stated in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, the Jewish law. Abolishing is a strong word. Some translations say set aside the commandments. Indeed, Jesus himself said 
that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. At the heart of foundation of the Jewish law was simply to love God and to love people. When the law was given to the Israelites, all 613 commandments under the Mosaic law, it protected them from the surrounding nations. It provided good hygiene practices and enabled the Israelite community to function effectively. The first four of the Ten Commandments are all about the Israelites keeping their focus on God. Number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. It's all about keeping their focus on God to keep them distinct, to show the world the glory of God and to be a light to the world. They were, they were chosen out for that purpose. The thing is, over the years, more ordinances, more regulations, more rules were added by Jewish leaders, increasing the burden for the Jewish people and making the exclusion of the Gentiles even more obvious. All those commandments, all those ordinances had to go. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law by living the perfect life and dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and in so doing, he rendered the law obsolete. He broke down these walls of division for his death on the cross, so those who had the law or those who didn't no longer had the source of their hostility in the way. He broke down the wall of hostility by removing the reason for it. We've sung quite a lot this morning, and the, the, the word Ralph brought as well, about breaking stuff down. Breaking down the walls of Jericho. Breaking down the walls of hostility in our pastures today. Um, the song which had the word, and there's something like, you split the sea, so I could walk quite through it. This is only enabled by Jesus' death on the cross. There's power in what he did for us. He died and rose again to enable walls to break down. He died and rose again to enable the sea to be split. He died and rose again to make a way so we could follow in the spirit where he leads us. What walls of hostility do we have today? You know, you, you speak to a non-Christian about church and they'll, one of the things they'll probably say is along the lines of, well, the church is split. You know, there's so many denominations, there's so many different factions, there's Catholics, there's Protestants, there's Anglican, there's Third Day Saints, Third Day Saints? Seventh, I don't know. Anyway, there, there's so many different expressions of church and that, that's not always a bad thing actually at all, but the perception given is that the church is not united. How about the church in Bedford? Bedford is a town blessed with loads of churches. We've got lots of churches in Bedford. And it, it's, it's, it's incumbent on us to look to work with those churches more, to build links with those churches, to be churches together in Bedford. How about our church? We are one new people. We are one new family. Created in Christ Jesus for many different parts of the world. We sang before, people from every nation and tongue. I've no idea how many nations we've got in here. We've got English, English and Scottish, that's two. We've got lots of nations in the church. We're called all nations church for a reason. And we're on a journey of being one new family who welcome and include all people, whatever their background. We've seen family this morning. Pete and George sharing. Audrey's 90th birthday. 
Stories everywhere going on. I'll say more on this a bit later. It's so easy for division to get in. And it often won't be a hostile division, but it could be a dividing wall of resentment. It could be a wall of hurt. It could be a wall of safeness, where we just hang out with those who are like us because we're scared to go and talk with someone who we don't know and don't like. Galatians 3.28, Paul wrote this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross also brings us, as one body and one people, peace with God. We've got peace with each other and peace with God. For we are reconciled to God as individuals, yes, but as individuals within one body. So two things were achieved. We've got one new people created in Christ, and this one new people are reconciled to God. And the order that Paul uses here, I think it's quite interesting, because his first focus and his first mention is when hostility is broken down, it's one new people are created when that wall of hostility is broken down. The second, as one new people, as one body, we are reconciled to God. As, as you as an individual give your life to Christ, you immediately, instantly become part of this one new body, of this one new family. Indeed, Paul says in quite strong language, that this hostility has been killed. No longer to come back, to come back again. No longer to be resurrected. Let's, let's resurrect hostility. No. Killing the hostility. And what's the result of uh, this war being broken down and this one new people being, being created? He says, trying to find the place. In verse 18, For through him, through Jesus... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. In this one verse, you've got the Trinity. Through Jesus, we both, as in one new people, have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. The oneness of God is involved. Through Jesus, we can come into the presence by the Holy Spirit of Father God. And also, what a beautiful reminder that God is our Father, that we are his children. So, final point. This leads into our being part of the family. So, we looked at our position before, before we were Christians. We looked at how Jesus makes peace um, by making one new people and peace with God. And we're now part of the family. In verse 19, Paul comes full circle from verse 12. We now have access to the Father as one new people, and he uses the same language in verse 19 as verse 12. He concludes that the Ephesians are no longer strangers and aliens, excluded from the people and promises of God, but they are instead fellow citizens. I'll say that again, fellow citizens. This is now their position. This is now their secure position. I've missed a page. This is true of us as well. We are fellow citizens. That's important to say, actually. So I've got a, a, two, two quick things to say and one long thing. There are no second-class Christians. The Ephesians are fellow citizens with all other saints. 
Indeed, Paul called them saints at the start of the book in the first verse. They are members of the household of God. Jews on up here and Gentiles down here still? No, no. All fellow citizens. You belong. You are a fellow citizen. You're a saint, a son, a daughter. You're a member of God's household, part of his body. Second thing, you're on solid ground. It's quite a strong foundation, to say the least. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 20. The church is built and is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, or those who went before us, who, who spread the gospel message, uh, the saving message of Christ. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone, the keystone, offering stability and strength to the whole structure. And not only are the foundations strong and, and the cornerstone, Jesus, is there, but he's also the head as well. In chapter 1, verse 23, Paul has already said this. 22 even, and he, put, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Christ is the head of his body, the church. Head and cornerstone. You're on solid ground. Finally, it's a long finally, so bear with me. Bodies grow. Now you might notice this. Some grow more than others. And I'm entering, I'm entering middle life now. Uh, I, I turn a certain age next week. I, I turned 40. Hard to believe I'm that young, isn't it? And I'm, I'm aware of middle-age spread, so I might, might be growing that way a little bit. But bodies grow. And the way that Paul describes this as actively growing, he says the whole structure, the whole body, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He talks about the body being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. The church is on the strong foundation of Jesus and under the headship of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't then say, work out the building bit on your own, you know, that in-between bit, do it yourself. No, it's in Christ. It says, in whom the whole structure, in Christ, the whole structure, the body, joins together and grows. Christ is everywhere in the body. Paul explained how Jesus has created one new people that now has peace with God. If it ended there, we wouldn't be sat here today. We would have remained far off. The body grows. It's an active, organic being. If the Ephesian church has settled for being a fellow citizen and sat back in the armchair with a mince pie and a cup of tea, sounds quite good to me, and that was it, we wouldn't be here today. That wasn't an option. Why? Because there are many, many people who still remain in the far-off position who are in the position that we were in, who have no hope. We, as the, as the church, as the body of Christ, are to be a light in the darkness, giving glory to God and living for him, so, that, so those with no hope, who are far off, have the opportunity to change their position from being not a Christian to being without hope to being secure in Christ. As all nations, as one new people... We want to be attractive. Is that fair to say? We want to be attractive people. I say that quite ironically myself, you know. But the point is, is that to those who have no hope, hope is perhaps the most attractive quality. 
Hope is such an attractive quality. To those who have no hope, hope is attractive. And we, we should be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope to those who have none. In this season of the Holy Spirit moving amongst us in ways which maybe we're not used to, where we're longing and believing for revival, we need to encourage each other. There's an element of looking in here, of, uh, of, of getting our own house in order perhaps, and, and making sure that we are being attractive to ourselves, if that makes sense. Revival starts with us. We've heard it before. It starts in us. And we need to stir in ourselves and in each other a heart for revival. It might not always be comfortable, and there may be growing pains. But I would plea, I would plea with you, don't, don't put walls up. Don't put walls up. In a growing body, everyone needs to play their part. Everyone needs to play their part. If this doesn't happen, there'll be gaps. Growth will be stunted, and the body of Christ less effective. Uh, for those of you who feel either underused or pigeonholed, Or for those of you who feel on the periphery, where that's been down to the church, then I want to say sorry. We don't want you to be underused. We don't want you to be on the periphery. We don't want you to feel like you're a one-trick pony. We need you. Being discouraged by church is not what being one in your family is about. We want to have a stronger community where no one feels excluded, where everyone's actively plugged in, Caring and loving for one another. Where we give bunches of flowers to Audrey at 90 years old. Where we welcome Geordie and Pete from the streets. Where everyone's welcome. Sharing life. It's why we started 3C. Care, Community, Connect. To encourage all of you, whether you've been here minutes or decades since Mill Street. Whether you've been here all that time. We want that to encourage you to get involved with, with our church and ensure no one misses out or is left out. This strengthens our diversity, our one new family, and goes a long way to the unity that Jesus recognised as being so important when he prayed to his father the night before he died. In John 17, 23, Jesus prayed that they, followers of Jesus, may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Unity and diversity makes us more attractive to more people. And that leads to the, the really final bit. We go from looking in to looking out. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22, Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. We must be actively willing to mould ourselves to the needs of those around us. We want to make everyone feel welcome. That's, that's kind of a given. But to do that requires courage. Because it's more than welcoming on a Sunday morning in church. Most of those who need the hope we have do not come anywhere near a church. Whether they have a direct negative, negative, negative experience of church, whether they just think church is an irrelevant whether they stereotype church as being for middle class people who don't really care about the poor 
there are walls that need breaking down out there as well as in here. And it's down to us to break them down. In the name and the power of Jesus, we must pray for revival in our town and in our nation, expecting that God will pour out his spirit into a hungry church and a thirsty town. We must bring a message of peace and hope, which will see more people from more backgrounds join our one new people, join the one new people of the church in Bedford, be reconciled to God and become a fellow citizen along with us. We need to get out there into the far off places where there's darkness and there is no hope. We're all there already in our week outside this building. We are all in dark places. We all come across people who have no hope. Start there. I had a conversation this week with a guy at work who said, how's church going, John? He calls me John, that's fine. And uh, I said, oh yeah, it's going well. There's a few things happening. And, um, and we had a three-minute discussion, not long, three minutes, on the Holy Spirit. And this guy is like, he's, he's, he's asking questions. I mean, it just, it, it was, but I've never had a conversation with him about church to that depth before. On the other hand, there'll be many, there are many that we won't come across in our ordinary week-to-week, in our ordinary day-to-day lives. They'll be outside of our normal social spheres. And maybe they're the ignored, the unloved, the forgotten of our society. And the, and the challenge is to go to them. That's what face-to-face is about. It's about going to, to people on the streets, to people who are lonely, to people who are vulnerable, and saying hello having a conversation, building a relationship. And look what happens. We get Pete and Jordy come into the building and they're after, they're hungry. It's about walking alongside people who, who are lacking hope. Chapter 2 of Ephesians as a whole takes us from being dead in our sin and having no hope to being made alive together with Christ to being seated with him in heavenly places, to being part of one new family, to a growing body founded on, under the headship of, and grown in, Christ himself. Chapter 2 is quite a journey. Can I ask you all to stand if you're able to? Oh, and can the band come up as well? That's all right. Um, the, the Olympics when they were in London in 2012 do you remember the flame the Olympic flame it was made up of lots of individual torches of fire and they were all laid down on the ground there you go uh, and then all, these, all the torches were raised up to make one Olympic flame And that's one new family. Yes, we have our own individual faith. But as, as one torch, as one mini flame, that's not how it's meant to be. It's not why Jesus died. He died to put us into a family. He broke down all walls of hostility, resentment, division, whatever, so that we could be one. One new people, one new family. And so that we could be that beacon of hope, that beacon of light, that beacon of flame. 
And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what? If, if someone in that flame is struggling a bit and then their particular torch is a bit dim, they're surrounded by flames. They're surrounded by their family. They're surrounded by people who are for them, who will support them, and who will, who will shine with them and help them, help them shine again. So I want to, part of the response is, if you feel like your flame has dimmed a bit, and a bit like what we did there earlier, I suppose, if you, if you just want to receive more of the Holy Spirit, then I want to invite you to come forward. That's all fine. So I, I, I got prayer this morning. So that, that, that's one thing. Second thing, what walls need to be broken down in your life? What, what walls have you got that hold you back? So I, I got prayer this morning because it was a bit of a frantic morning at home. And I was finishing off this. And I like, I like control. And I like to know what I'm, I like to know word for word what I'm going to say. And I felt I had to give that control back to God and be led by the Spirit. Preparation's good, really good. But actually, control isn't. And so for me, my wall was, maybe still will be, but control, to break through control. And if you recognise there's a wall that you want to deal with this morning or you want to get prayer for this morning that is not helpful to you, I want to invite you to come to the front and get prayer. That's now. There's that bit in the Bible where Elisha uh, is in the city of Dothan. Uh, and his, his servant guy is there with him. And they're, they're surrounded. They're surrounded. The city's surrounded by the Syrian army who are after him. And the servant is scared. He's fearful. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. And Elisha prays to God and says, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. To your protection, open his eyes to see you. And the Lord opened his eyes, and all around the city are the armies of God. Chariot of fire, chariot of fire. They were surrounded, but actually, God surrounded them. So I guess the third thing is, if you feel surrounded this morning, if you feel trapped, come and get prayer. Come and get prayer. Come and be reminded again of those chariots of fire, the, the God's army. Actually, support from, we are, we're part of that army, by the way. We're part of that army. Let's pray for each other.